Let us pray. Father, we're desperate to hear from you this morning. Even if we don't know it, Father, we are desperate to hear from you through your word. Uh, Father, help me now as I preach. Um, be with those who are hearing. Uh, send your Holy Spirit now to open our hearts and minds to the things that will be said. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So does the name Ryan White ring a bell with any of you? Hands? Okay, some of you. Uh, some of you may remember, and I'm sure a lot of you will remember now once I tell the story, that Ryan was a teenager from Indiana in the mid to late 80s and into the early 90s who made the news headlines when he was diagnosed with the yet to well be understood disease of AIDS. If you remember the story, Ryan became infected uh, with HIV for a routine blood treatment that he had for a, the specific blood disorder that he was dealing with. AIDS was not well understood at the time. And when Ryan attempted to go back to school, a great firestorm erupted. Uh, teachers and parents protested out of uh, concern for their children and concern for their own safety. Uh, they put together a petition urging the school not to let Ryan come back. And this set off a uh, long extended legal battle that made the national headlines and Ryan White uh, was thrust onto the television sets all across America. Eventually Ryan was permitted to return to school but his first day back about half the kids stayed at home. He was forced at school to eat with disposable utensils and to use separate restrooms. And eventually Ryan and his family were forced to leave their home when a bullet was shot through their window. I think it goes without saying that Ryan and his family experienced pain, rejection, and shunning in a most terrible way. If the disease that would eventually take his life wasn't bad enough, the rejection and the isolation and the ridicule and the mocking made it miserable. Though we cannot be sure when AIDS first came onto the scene and began taking human lives, we do have examples in the Bible of people who were treated in very similar ways to Ryan White and other individuals diagnosed with HIV AIDS. The people I'm thinking of from the Bible are not those suffering with AIDS, but they are the individuals that we read about over and over again that were suffering with the disease of leprosy. And if you turn with me now to our passage from Luke 5, Luke 5 verses 12 to 16, we will begin looking at a story about Jesus' encounter uh, with just such a man who is dealing with leprosy. Turn with me to Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. While he was in one of the cities, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, 
Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The three-year ministry of Jesus involved a great deal of Jesus traveling around from city to city, uh, preaching and teaching and healing the sick. And our passage today, as we see, contains just such a story. This particular story, Jesus enters into a city and he is approached by a man who the Bible tells us is covered with leprosy or filled with leprosy and he is therefore in desperate need of Jesus' help. Now, when the Bible uses the term leprosy, it refers to a wider range of skin diseases than what Uh, we say call leprosy today, which is actually called Hansen's disease. The word leprosy in the Bible refers to a multitude of skin conditions that produce sores and bulls and rashes, all of them painful, all of them very debilitating. But as bad as the physical suffering was from those skin diseases, oftentimes the emotional and spiritual suffering for those affected with these diseases just like people today affected with AIDS, is far worse. It was devastating for most people because being afflicted with leprosy meant being separated and isolated from your friends, your family, and your worshiping community. So though the physical suffering was bad, those with leprosy probably suffered more from being called the scary person because of the way they look, being called a social outcast, and they suffered worse from these types of things probably than they did from the disease itself. Jews who suffered from leprosy were labeled unclean, and they were not allowed to participate in the worship activities or any other activities in Jewish life. They were separated even from their families. The law required lepers to remain at a distance from other people and when they were moving about the streets to shout unclean, unclean so that people would be able to intentionally avoid them. Because anyone who came into contact with a leper not only put himself at risk of contracting the disease but also put himself at risk of being labeled unclean and separated from their families and their worshiping community for a time. Now this is all really, it's very sad. And we tend to read passages like this and we tend to do it and we remain completely disassociated from the people in the passages. We don't ask questions like, who was this man? Did he have a mom and a dad? Did he have a mom and a dad who might be aging and might could have used his help? Did he have a family? Did he have a wife? Did he have children? Children who were crying to their mother every night because they couldn't see their dad? Did he cry out to God asking why this has happened to me? 
It's all very sad when we stop, slow down, and take time to think about it and place ourselves in this story. It is very much like the story that we began with, the story of Ryan White. But this distraught, disease-ridden man sees and he approaches Jesus. And evidently he had heard about Jesus and heard about his ability to heal because he comes to Jesus and he falls before him and assumes a position of a beggar. He assumes a position of humility and respect. He knew and he believed that Jesus could remove this disease that was ravaging his body. A disease that was ravaging his body and ostracizing him from his friends and his family and the worship of the Lord. And he cries out, Lord, help me. If you are willing, I know that you are able to make me clean. Lord, I know you can rid my body of this terrible disease. Jesus, are you willing? And so Jesus had a decision to make at this point. He could have easily appealed to the tradition that if he came into contact with this leper, that he himself would be made unclean. And he simply could have ordered the man to go away from him. Or... He could show compassion on the man and do what we all know he is more than able to do. Now, I don't think it is a surprise to any of us who know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the response that he had. What he does is not surprising to us. We see in verse 13 that he reaches out and he touches the man and commands the leprosy to leave his body. Jesus had pity on this man and commanded the leprosy to be gone with just a simple, single Greek word. And we see at the end of verse 13 that the leprosy immediately leaves the man. And he was healed. The rashes, the irritation, the boils, whatever else was covering his skin was immediately gone. And though Luke doesn't record it here, I'm sure that the man was overwhelmed with joy and appreciation and thanksgiving for what Jesus did. Had done for him. But then Jesus makes what seems to be an odd request. Jesus commands the man to tell no one what he has done for him. Now this seems odd, doesn't it? And, and the truth is that we see this several, in several places in the Gospels. Have you ever wondered what's going on there? Why does Jesus not want these people to go and tell what has happened? Well, the, the, a lot of times... When Jesus heals someone and tells them to keep quiet about it, he, what is going on here is that he does not want the miracles that he is performing to distract from the message that these miracles were pointing toward. He does not want the miracles he is performing to distract from the message that these miracles were pointing toward. Jesus wanted people attracted to him, yes, but not simply for the sake of being healed or being fed or being entertained, but instead for the sake of being made spiritually clean and reconciled to God. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the large crowds were drawn to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. If Jesus was simply interested in drawing large crowds, he would have taken Satan up on his offer to climb up to the top of the temple and to jump off and show everyone who he was. 
But Jesus wasn't interested in drawing large crowds. He wasn't interested in being the David Copperfield of his day that did all these amazing feats and had people coming from all over the world to see these miracles that he was doing. What he was interested in was establishing that he was the Jewish Messiah, the one who had come to wash away the sins of the people and to reconcile them with God. So Jesus commands the man to keep silent, and he tells him instead to go to a priest. As I mentioned earlier, leprosy was mainly a disease of social exclusion. And the only one who could end the lepers, force separation from his friends and his family and the worshiping community, was a priest who could pronounce him clean. Jesus did the healing, and now he sends him to a priest to confirm that the healing took place. The priest would confirm it and readmit the man into the worship of the community and reunite him with his family. And so now, for the sake of time, I want to stop here and make some application about what I have presented so far. What I would like for us to see now is how this story is a picture of all of us as sinners separated from God and in need of the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. Again, this story is a picture of all of us as sinners separated from God and in need of the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. The fact is, friends, that like the leper in this story, we are afflicted with the disease of sin. It has covered us in every way. We are eat up with it inside and out. And like the leper who is unclean and unable to come into the presence of God along with the rest of the worshiping community of God's people, we too in our sinful condition are separated from God and in desperate need of a cleanser and a reconciler. And just like in this man's story whose cleanser and reconciler was Jesus Christ, our cleanser and reconciler, my friends, is Jesus Christ. And in the same way, that Jesus had the authority to order the leprosy from this man's body. Jesus has the authority to remove the stain of sin from our bodies and to wash us white as snow before God our Father. And friends, this is the glorious news that we proclaim. This is the gospel. And the picture of this leprous man being healed through faith in Jesus Christ is a picture as to what has happened to every one of us this morning who have fallen at the feet of Jesus in faith, begging him to make us clean. But being made clean and being reconciled to God is not where the story ends for us as Christians. It's the beginning of our story. You see, friends, not only do we learn in this story how we are like the leper, but we also learn in this story how we as Christians are now meant to be like Jesus. And this is where our passage this morning relates to our focus for the day, reaching out with grace. The question on the table now is, are we willing to be like Jesus? Are we willing to reach out, to stretch out our hands, and to touch the untouchables of our society? Now, I want to go ahead and warn you that I'm going to get in our business a little bit this morning. Um, I'm going to meddle some, but I really feel strongly convicted about what is in this passage. 
And so please know that when I am meddling, I am speaking mostly about what I see in my own life, assuming that the same blind spots and faults and sin that exist in my own heart exist in some of yours as well. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear, but oftentimes the things that are hardest to hear are the things that we need to hear the most. This is what scripture does. It corrects us. It reproves us. It rebukes us. It instructs us. It guides us. And through the Holy Spirit, it convicts us. And I have been convicted by this passage as I've studied it over the past couple of weeks. And I have been praying for two weeks that you will be convicted this morning as we study this passage together. So it's not going to be that bad. Everybody got really quiet. (laughs) I, I love you. And I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm mostly pointing a finger at me um, and knowing maybe that I am a mirror to you. So I'd like to start at the beginning of this passage and look to Jesus as an example of how we are to relate to the untouchables of our society. Jesus is certainly much more than an example for us. There are some people today who will say that Jesus is just an example of how we are to live. Jesus is much more than an example. He is our Lord and Savior, but Jesus is not less than our example. Jesus, in addition to dying for our sins, taught us how to live with and love and relate to others. So the first thing that I want us to see about Jesus in this passage is that he encountered this man in a city. You see that in verse 12, he encountered this man in a city. Cities have always been the places where the untouchables in this world gather. Cities are places where people go to beg for help because they are large population centers. And so what happens to cities? People like us flee to the suburbs to avoid the riffraff. We don't want people with leprosy or AIDS or a mental disorder or a drug addiction or whatever else walking up to us. We don't want the untouchables of society to come touch us and we definitely don't want to go and touch them. But friends, if we are going to encounter those who are truly in need, we are going to have to go to the cities from time to time. We're going to have to go to the cities. We're going to have to go to the prisons. We're going to have to go to the homeless shelters. We're going to have to go to the hospitals. They cannot come to us. We are going to have to go to these places. We are going to have to take some risk like Jesus did when he reached out and touched this man with leprosy. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, sometimes it is risky to be a Christian. We have to take risks with people from time to time and we have to trust God to protect us and take care of us when we step out of our comfort zone. to protect us when we reach out and touch the untouchables in our world and possibly in doing so put our lives in danger. Friends, we cannot use personal safety as an excuse and feel good about it. Jesus was willing to die for us and he calls us to be willing to lay down our lives for people in this world. Safety, comfort, security, whether physical or financial, are the holy grails in our society, aren't they? But as Christians, we have to throw that notion out the window. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it well. 
He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Though I don't have time to get into the story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he did die. Friend, when you became a Christian, you died to yourself and surrendered your life to the service of Jesus Christ. So I would ask you, when is the last time you went to downtown Birmingham looking to help someone in need? Not to help because someone deserved it, but because Jesus helped you when you didn't deserve it. You see, the primary reason we show mercy is because God has shown mercy to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. This removes any excuse that would appeal to the fact that certain people don't deserve our help because they're lazy. Or certain people don't deserve our help because they're nothing but drunks. Or they are criminals. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. So unless I am prepared to pick up that first stone and throw it, I have to remind myself that I too am a sinner who would be out on the street begging to if it weren't for God's mercy upon me and his grace in my life. We all know that it is election season. And we do a whole lot of arguing around election time about what the role of government is in caring for the poor and needy in this country. And I think it is very good that we have these conversations about the role of government in these areas. I'm thankful that we live in a country where we can and where we should have these conversations. I ask you to please go and vote and make your voice heard. But please understand that while the debate will probably always go on among politicians about what the role of government is in this area, there is no argument about this in the life of the church. It is not an option, friends. We have a divine mandate to care for those in need. And the sad truth is, is that if the church was doing its job of caring for those in need, a lot of these conversations among politicians wouldn't even need to be had. If you want to put a lot of politicians out of business, I know a lot of you probably do, Start caring for the business of the church, which is caring for those in need. So my next question is, when people in need see you, do they see Jesus? Do they see someone who loves them and cares for them and wants to help them, even though they may not deserve it? Do they see someone like the rest of society who is willing to, unwilling to approach them? Or do they see someone who is willing to come and to even touch them with a handshake or a pat on the back or a hug? When people in need see you, do they see Jesus? Or as C.S. Lewis puts it, do they see a little Christ? Or do they see someone who proclaims to be a Christian yet looks nothing like Jesus? And along these lines, I would ask another question, a similar question. When you see people in need, 
Do you see Jesus? Jesus said to us in Scripture, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And so do you see Jesus in the face of those before you needing help? And do you help them like you would help Jesus if he was standing before you in need? Or do we simply disregard them, not wanting to help them because we don't have time, there's too much of a risk, or whatever else? Now, now that I've beat up on us for a little while, let me say that in reality, Meadowbrook Baptist Church is a very generous church. A generous church who responds to the needs of those in our city and around the world in wonderful and amazing ways. And for that, we are to be commended. We are a very caring church. I have no doubt about that. Probably a much more caring church than most in our city. But a lot of the times, the way that we help is very impersonal. We do it from a distance without getting our hands dirty, so to speak. Jesus could have healed this man from a distance without touching him. He could have issued the same command, be clean from a distance, and the result would have been the exact same. But he didn't. He allowed this man to approach him, and he stretched out his hand and touched the leprosy-ridden skin of this man. And I think there's an important principle here. Sometimes we have to be willing to get our hands dirty to show mercy. We have to be willing to touch the untouchables. But oftentimes, we are only willing to offer help from a distance. Our Sunday school classes put together baskets every year for people in need at Thanksgiving. And we are without a doubt, without a doubt, meeting a wonderful need in this way but the vast majority of us refuse to go and to meet and to touch and to hug and to cry with and to pray with people who are hurting this is not the model Jesus gave to us Jesus knew there was something special about touch he didn't touch the man to, just to heal him, but he knew by touching the man, he would communicate his love and acceptance of the man just as he was. And this is a good lesson for us. So I ask the question again. When people see you, if they see you at all, do they see Jesus? Or better yet, when you help people, do they feel the touch of Jesus in your handshake or in your compassionate hug? Friends, we are the closest thing to Jesus that many people in this world will ever see, and we need to make sure that we are painting a good picture for them. Take the grace you have been shown and show it to others. This is part of our call as Christians. And when we show grace, people will take notice and our lives will bear fruit and God will be glorified. And that is the goal of every Christian. But sometimes to show grace, we have to be willing to go to the rough parts of towns and mingle with those who we have been told all of our lives to avoid. Now, although Jesus ordered this man not to tell anyone 
what had just taken place. Apparently the man did not listen. Because in verse 15 we read, But now even more the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And this is exactly what we want as a church. We want people gathering, first of all, to hear the message of Jesus, but we also want them to gather so that we can respond with the grace that we have been shown by meeting whatever physical needs that they have in their life. Can we honestly say that we are caring for people in such a way that the report about Jesus is spreading? Now, I'm not Jesus, and I'm not normally going to a command a disease to leave someone's body and watch it leave their body and then be instantly healed. But I can ask God through prayer to heal them, and we know that oftentimes God answers those types of prayers. Chris Cox knows that God answers those types of prayers. Or I can help direct them to places where there are doctors and nurses and other volunteers to provide services at no cost to these people because they want to show the love of Christ to them. We have people in this church who volunteer at a clinic just like this in Pelham called Community of Hope. And there are miracles happening all the time at places like these because of those who are willing to give their own time to care for those in need, those who otherwise would not get any care. The people who volunteer at this clinic, again, are the closest thing to Jesus that many of these patients will ever see. Now, my point is that there are all sorts of ways we can reach out and help with mercy. We had tables set up everywhere last Sunday talking about these different ministry opportunities within our church. We just have to be moved to the point where our hearts break for these people and we want to do it. So I'm praying now and have been for two weeks that the Holy Spirit would work on our hearts in such a way that we cannot stay away from those that we would normally, naturally, without the Holy Spirit breaking our hearts, want to avoid. But then we have to ask another question. If we do decide to touch the untouchables in our city, are we ready to welcome them into the doors of this church? Not as a novelty, not as a charity case, but as a brother and sister in Christ for whom there is no distinction in the eyes of God between them and us. How are we going to feel about sitting next to someone who is still struggling with a drug addiction every Sunday? How are we going to feel about sitting next to someone who is struggling with homosexuality? What about an ex-convict? What about someone with AIDS? Are we going to be able to welcome them with the love of Christ? Or will we keep them at an arm's length just to be safe? Friends, Jesus never said being a Christian would be safe. Not for us, not for our children. Don't forget they killed Jesus and all but one of his closest followers. Are we willing to take the risk necessary to show the love of Christ to those who need it most? Brothers and sisters, I think 
the most important thing for us to remember is that we were all, every one of us, at one point untouchable to God. And yet Jesus came and died for us and he changed all of that. He showed us grace when we did not deserve it. And if we are going to be his followers, we are to extend that grace to others. We are to serve them and we are to share with them the wonderful news of the gospel. Because ultimately, the truth be told, it matters little if we prolong someone's eternal life or even just make it more bearable if we have not done anything to affect their eternal life. I think I said that wrong. It matters little if we prolong someone's earthly life if we've done nothing to affect their eternal life. And so my prayer for us this morning is that when we go out this week into the world, that our actions and the things that we say will show Jesus to people. And they will hear Jesus calling to them in our voices and in our love. Maybe there's someone here right now who is hearing the call of Jesus in my voice. Friend, if that is you, I invite you to cast yourself at the feet of Jesus this morning and beg him to make you clean. And if you, like the leper, believe that Jesus is both willing and able to make you clean, you will leave this place washed whiter and cleaner than the new fallen snow in the eyes of God. There's only one who can take away the stain of sin in our lives. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is both willing and able. And I plead with you this morning to cast yourself at his feet and receive his grace-giving touch. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel. We thank you that in the Bible you tell it to us not only with words, but also with pictures and with stories that are easy to remember and things that we can understand. Things like this leper who is a picture of us in our sin, Father. We thank you that you sent your Son to remove the stain of sin from our lives and to reconcile us with you and to be able to spend eternity in your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.